This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year, and amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Mitu Steroni. I'm super excited. She's an eye surgeon, a neuroscience researcher turned writer, a Cambridge-trained medical doctor, uh, also teaches hot yoga. The list goes on and has got an amazing book out, which in light of COVID-19 is called Stress Proof, uh, the scientific solution to protect your brain and body and be more resilient every day. Uh, Welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to chat to you. Thank you so much, Emma, for having me. Um, And as I say, you know, what a book and what perfect timing, which I'm sure you didn't think about because nobody could have preempted this. But what a brilliant time because stress, I don't think has probably ever been as high since the last pandemic, do you think? You're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting because there was a simmering cauldron of stress that's been gradually rising within our normalcy, within our normal world, really because of the way we've, we do things, the way our lives have changed. But then this pandemic has just added has just added fuel to to a tinderbox, so yeah. it's 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 or added a flame to a tinderbox, so it's just lit up the cauldron of stress. Stress, it's a word that it annoys people when somebody goes, oh, "I think you're suffering from stress." People go, "I'm not, I'm not stressed." I mean, I'm you know, I'm fine. It's like it's an annoying word, but it, as you say, it's a bubbling cauldron. It, it comes in all shapes and forms, and you have done this with such you know really easy but real science based strategies for how to sort of almost, well, as you say, beat it at its own game. Can you explain more about that? Because that's such a, it's a clever thing, because do you, do you see stress as that, something we have to sort of manage and trick? Well, I see stress really as riding a bicycle on a tightrope, which I've never done. <laughs> but, but mentally, that's kind of how I see it. So you're on this tightrope, you're riding a bicycle, or unicycle, whatever kind. Um, And you are trying very hard to stay on the tightrope. So many environmental factors, the way you work, the way you live, the way you relate to people, the people around you, they're constantly trying to sway you one way or the other. And I see that really as the effect of the environment applying stress onto your system. Now you can sway or you can fall. And when we have a push in one direction, which pushes pushes us so far that we actually fall off the tightrope, that's when you get an effect of stress manifesting as chronic stress. And coming back to your analogy, yes, so the way I, I think we can beat stress at its own game is if you really see this as a game, and if you imagine every time there is a force pushing you on your bicycle to the right, you have to do something that pushes yourself to the left. So you always stay on the tightrope. And how do we do that? Because obviously I'm going to use this interview as a great exercise in how one can can do this. Because it's hard because when you're 
in that stressful mode or whatever you call it, it is hard to, I guess, get the reality check of, of being, okay, I am super stressed. I need to, I need to sway the other way. How, how, what are the tricks of the trade to kind of try and rebalance one? Because sometimes stress is so extreme. Sometimes it comes in a massive burst. Sometimes it hits you from the left with a kind of, I didn't think I was stressed about that, but actually I am. How can we do that? So I'd say coming back to the analogy of the bicycle, ride a really solid bike, make your bicycle and make the tightrope very, very solid. So start with a foundation. So for instance, if you keep the very basics, which we often take for granted or we ignore because we consider them soft factors. If you keep those very, very rigid, then the others are like layers of a cake. So, for instance, in my book, I talk about things like circadian rhythms, I talk about sleep, I talk about exercise, and I don't just talk about exercise per se, I talk about specific ways to exercise as well, to build your foundation. And what are those? So, for instance, with exercise, it depends on what you're trying to do. So animal experiments have shown, for instance, that voluntary aerobic exercise is very good for doing things like you know increasing levels of certain nerve growth factors in the brain so it's very good for the brain but voluntary aerobic exercise i've focus zoomed in in my book because there is a great study that's taken aerobic exercise and made people exercise in at three different intensities and it has shown that for general well-being and general fitness of course all kinds of exercise all intensities of exercise are very very good for you However, if you are acutely stressed and your stress hormones are surging through your, you know, through your blood, through your body, at that point, it's not very wise to do high intensity exercise. If at that point you do low intensity exercise, in my book, I've called it 40% VO2 max, which is a way of which you can physiologically measure how intense your exercise is. So for instance, in this case, I'm talking about a light jog or, you know, very, it depends how fit you are. So if you're very fit, then light jog. If you're not very fit, then a brisk walk, something like that. Doing that for 30 minutes actually brings your cortisol level down. Whereas doing intense exercise raises your cortisol level. Now, both are good for you, but in different contexts. So for your general baseline day-to-day fitness, of course, exercise intensely, however well you can, your fitness dictates it. But immediately after a stressful experience, low intensity exercise may be better for you. I mean, that does make total sense. And I think we all slightly are always searching. And I know during COVID and everything, you know, stress was the key word. Like, how do we manage it? What can we do? You know, meditation, do we lie down? And and I know personally, and, you know, speaking to friends during that period of time, we were all like, I'm too stressed to meditate. Like, I'm... (laughs) Like it's almost like the stress overtakes you. You're like, I want to meditate. Now I'm cross and stressed because I can't focus long enough to do it. And so actually when you're saying that, I get it makes more sense that you sort of do it, I guess, within your realms of of that moment as opposed to just going, I'm stressed. I need to tick that box. I need to do this, 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 and this. Correct. So I think it's very important to, first of all, remember that we use stress in a bi-directional way. So we, we talk about stress in terms of the effect on the body. Yeah. We also about, talk about stress in terms of 
the things that are causing the effects. And we tend to compartmentalize and make lists and, and tick boxes and force things upon ourselves. So very simply speaking, when we are stressed, the complexity of the nerve networks, the entire map of the brain changes. So it's almost like having a tube map that changes. Okay, so yeah. it actually changes. And that change is actually a very natural process. It's not a disease. It's not something you can overturn by, you know, giving someone a pill that reverses a pathway. It's a natural way. The brain kind of upgrades its response system to be prepared for uncertainty. So that's really the state of stress. So when you are in a state of stress, of course, as you know, you have a whole plethora of things going on. So you have your nerve reactions, you have, you know, something called the autonomic nervous system, which has a, which, which is kicked into play. And there are certain mechanisms that go on there. You also have a hormonal response to stress. And the important thing is when you have a sudden short bout of a threat that you, you need to deal with, your brain needs to deal with, otherwise you won't survive. At that point, it's very important that your brain upgrades your entire map to prioritize the bits that are really, really important in your brain, the mechanisms that are really important, and to downshift the things that you maybe do when you're in a more relaxed setting. So that's the state of the brain. When you're in an acutely threatening situation, being in that state helps you. It's important to accept it and to go with it. So if you're being chased by a lion, it will help you run faster. It will even sharpen your vision in the mist so that you can see things more clearly. However, the problem that we have now is, or even before the pandemic, is if you imagine it like an elastic band, stress is the stretch, but you must have the release afterwards. If you don't have the release, the elastic band becomes stiffer. So you can't stretch as well when there is stress. And more importantly, if it remains stretched or stressed, then certain mechanisms that the brain kicks into play in the acute setting stay turned on. And just because a little bit of something is good, more of it is not better. More of it causes harm. So the important thing with stress is if you are stretched, you need to undo the stretch you need to relax it relax it out and when you talk about things like meditation and feeling this knotted up feeling you know this this which I think we've all had throughout this pandemic regardless of which country whether we're going through lockdown acutely or expecting it tomorrow or we've just come out of it the the overwhelming feeling right now is there is an unending uncertainty Mm -hmm. out there an unending threat and so the brain has pushed buttons which has put our brain and hence our body in a state of needing to be incredibly vigilant and prioritizing certain aspects of our mental and physical functioning at the expense of others. And because we've not had a single respite from this since it all began, we've not had a chance for the elastic band to relax. And the, the longer you pull it, the stiffer it gets and the harder it is to relax. No, it makes total sense. And I think you're right. It's almost like we've all had to put our bodies in an unnatural state of like ready for things that we've never had to be ready for. And as you say, vigilant in a different way. You know, we all know things like flu season. Okay, flu season is a period of time. We'll be vigilant for that period of time. We'll not do that. But this, as you say, it's like 
a big stretch. And I guess the on the stress level, we are dealing with long-term stress. We're dealing with something that is has become chronic in a lot of people. It has become a long-term condition that people, you know, people that were stressed before because that was in their makeup or their DNA have had it exacerbated. People that were the most laid back people, you know, I've seen it in my own life, have been stressed in a way they've never been stressed before. So what are the sort of tips for, for, for kind of going, okay, you know, we've got this long-term situation. What's the starting point where if people go, I, I want to start this and obviously they can, you know, buy the book and, and everything, but it's, it's how do you just get started so that you almost accept where you are and you go, okay, this is something I've got to deal with. I've got to, I've got to relax this stretching. I've got to get over that debilitating effect of stress. Where would you start? So I'd, I'd first of all start with a with a foundation. So going back to the bicycle analogy, with a foundation. So for instance, if you assume that everyone right now is almost in this strange situation of acute but chronic stress. So acute because we are vigilant for whatever the numbers will be tomorrow, what the new rules will be tomorrow. But chronic because, as you say, we've remained stretched. We've never had a chance to relax the elastic band. So the first thing I'd, I'd suggest is start with the very basics, which are really part of your normal day-to-day -day routine, which without you being aware of it, are actually responsible for relaxing that elastic band. So let's, let's pick a few things. So first of all, if you think of something I mentioned earlier, circadian rhythms, so your daylight and darkness, your day and night rhythms. Now, if you're stuck at home, you're working from home, you may have become a little bit, um, a little bit lazier about, about, about you know, sticking to rhythms, sticking to waking up times, but also you may not be able to get daylight as, as well as you would have done if you commuted to work, for instance. So all of these things are going to be impinging on, the, on your daylight exposure and your darkness exposure. And why are these so important? Well, a long, long time ago, we didn't have electricity, we didn't have light, Daylight ended at a certain hour of the day. Wherever you were living in the world, the, the, the night started growing darker at a certain time in the evening. Now, what's so interesting is that there is a hormone called melatonin, which many of your listeners will have heard of. Um, we call it a sleep hormone or a darkness hormone, but really it's, it's much more than that. And it isn't really a sleep hormone per se. It's really a corrector of your circadian rhythms. It keeps the time in your body clock. Your brain releases it every evening when it gets dark. It does not release it if you're sitting at home looking at a computer screen with blue light or if there's noise, excitement, etc. This hormone melatonin is actually an anxiolytic. It has been tested out in operating theatres, given to children, and it's been shown that it is almost as effective, in fact, as effective as an anti, as normal anti-anxiety pills. So this is nature's dose of an anti-anxiety pill that we all get for free every single day. Our ancestors have grown up with it, but our current lifestyles have removed it. And if you're in a situation where every day you are this taut elastic band, then removing this natural relaxer of that elastic band, you can see how that accumulates day after day. Let's take another thing. So we talked about exercise, but here's another example. 
we know today with lots of science that light movement, general movement, so what you'd equate to 40% in a VO2 max, lowers your stress level. So it releases that strain, that elastic band. Now in the past, it would be part of our day-to-day movement. Our ancestors a very, very long time ago would have hunted every day, would have gone you know, foraging every day. That's mm-hmm. gradual movement. Even far more recently, a hundred years ago, we would have got up to answer the telephone. We would have written a letter and got up and physically posted the letter. So these well, things- say, right, I'm laughing because how many of these things have we forgotten? You got up to pick up the phone. I mean, that's, yeah. You got up to pick up the phone. You got up and even while you're cooking at home, you know, in your kitchen, you would be yeah. moving things far more often and talking to your neighbor. You can't just call them. You might be popping around, you know, all those things. So we have had this natural movement that we have actually evolved with. And we know now that this natural movement lowers your cortisol. It releases that elastic band. So now it's gone. Sitting locked up in our homes or not, um, you know, we're talking to each other via Zoom as we're doing now. All of this, we're fixed to our computer. That natural movement has gone. So, you know, you could almost argue that we've evolved with these things it's not even so much of their natural anxieties. You could also see it as the opposite. You could see it in a way of, of speaking. You could, you could think of it as we needed them. We've evolved with them. So their absence causes us anxiety. So adding them back in lowers our anxiety. So that's another way of seeing it. Yes, but, yeah. but, you know, these are two, two examples. They're very basic examples. But you see how your entire lifestyle, the way you are, the way you reach out to friends, socializing, living in a tribe, all of these things actually form the foundation of your stress proof. You make such amazing sense. And, 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 it's, and it's such an incredible book because it really is, you're right, it is strategies for how to sort of just accept it and also see how we learn to live with it. I'm, I'm interested to know why you got, particularly as you were, you know, ophthalmology was your first thing that you did medically. What made you become so interested in stress? Well, um, I'd say I started off from the subjective perspective. So I'm, I have always been one of a, a type A personality or, you know, those people who are very stressed by things that don't stress other people at all. And I well, welcome to my world. We, we, get, we, have that in, we have that together then. That's great to know. We have a great club, a great club of, of great people. Um, but so I, I was always, you know, that kind of person. And um, then obviously, you know, junior doctor training for everyone is, is very, very stressful. And it was for me as well. And then I... I think the time I became really interested in stress or really, really focused on stress was really twofold. The first is, of course, observing my own stress. And I also had a, you know, I had certain conditions that that I developed through stress. There were stress-related conditions. And then I think the turning point came for me when I noticed I was working on pupillometry, which is looking at the pupils of the eyes, which I know they're very small, but you won't believe the wealth of information they give us about the goings on inside the brain, really deep inside the brain about the autonomic nervous system. So I was studying this in a lab. And at the same time, I started doing hot yoga, practicing hot yoga. Um, 
and I noticed how I would measure my own pupils. Um, I noticed how after practicing it gradually, you know, weeks, days and so on, this autoimmune condition went away, which it hadn't done with any medication or anything like that. At the same time, I also noticed my autonomic markers in my eye that you can measure by looking at the pupils. I mean, it was admittedly an N equals one uh, experiment on myself, but it was very interesting because I could see it happening. Yeah. I could measure it and I could feel it. And that's when I started becoming very interested. At the same time, I was working with patients with you know various autoimmune conditions, especially multiple sclerosis. And it became, it really struck me how there are so many patients even now, but perhaps far more then, who have these conditions and they have exacerbations in their conditions. And when you ask the patient, what, what happened? What did you do wrong? Did you stop your medications? They say, no, 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 I've, I've done everything to the letter. But a member of my family passed away or I've, mm. you know, I've separated from my partner and all of these things. And you kind of think, well, stress is clearly a factor. You can't write it in the notes because you can't measure it, but it clearly is a factor. And I think those yeah. two together really fueled my interest in stress. No, I, I, I love that. And I think you're so right. And I do think that, that, that all of these things together are what we need to look into so much more. We need to look at the bigger picture. As you say, you know, people have these conditions and there is medication. And I guess if, if COVID taught us anything, it was that actually it's not a one fix wonder for anything. It's, it's the whole bigger dynamic of lifestyle, exercise, diet, what you put into your life is what you get out, keeping the stress levels at bay. And yeah, that makes complete sense to me. And also the eyes, you know, I was thinking, you know, when you're an ophthalmologist, I've got a lovely, I've got terrible eyesight. You can see I'm in my glasses, so I'm always at the eye doctors. But stress really, I talk to her about stress. It, it does actually also affect the eyes, dry eyes, all sorts of little things that I never really thought about. She'd say to me, are you stressed? And I go, you know, I'm stressed. What's funny? She goes, because your eyes are more dry or you're this or you're that. And, and it affects every little bit of us. I think we always imagine that stress just does the bigger picture, but it can affect really weird things in the body, like that you don't anticipate. Absolutely. I mean, the, the really important thing to understand is, as I said, stress is not a disease. It's not an illness. It's a reshaping of the entire yeah. functional neural connectivity in the brain. It's almost as if you suddenly enter a different world and your brain reshapes itself. Yeah. And when your brain resets itself in that way, every part of your body, every response in your body is, is altered. And one of the ways in which it does this is there is a, a network. It, we call it the autonomic nervous system. It's a network of, of nerves inside the brain, which stretches across the body. And this network actually modulates an enormous array of functions in ourselves that many of us are not aware of. It modulates sleep. It modulates how fast and how slow at a you know, microsecond to microsecond level your heart beats to adjust to the demands required of it. It modulates how deep and how slow or how fast we breathe. And it even modulates things like when you stand up suddenly, you know, how, how does your blood pressure stay the same? Mm. So it has all these, you know, enormous 
manifestations. And it's almost like a very fine hidden conductor inside the brain. Now, what stress does is stress essentially acts through this nerve network. So as soon as this nerve network is active and when it when it becomes active there are two there are three arms really but two arms are relevant in stress we call it a sympathetic and a parasympathetic arm you might be familiar with it as a fight or flight arm and the rest and digest arm so in stress the fight or flight arm becomes more active the rest and digest arm becomes less active but as soon as that happens your entire interaction with the world around you changes because this state also start happens in the brain and in the brain, for instance, we, we, there is a certain, another little locus, I won't mention too many names, it's called the locus ceruleus. This is part of this whole autonomic nerve network stress system. And when this gets active, because you are vigilant, it makes you more vigilant, it makes you more alert. And it even does things like sharpen your contrast sensitivity. So if you're looking, as I said earlier, if you're looking out into the fog, it actually sharpens your vision on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. So when your autonomic nervous system is alerted by stress and it kicks into action, not only do, you know, does your heart beat faster, not only do you breathe shallower and faster, but even what you see, what you perceive is completely altered. I mean, I could listen to this all day. It's, it's brilliant. I'm so glad you've put it into a book because trust me, we're going to be reading that from cover to cover. I want to ask you just quickly, what, what gives you life? Kindness and love and light. Yeah, love that. And what feeds your soul? Learning, knowing more. And again, coming back to the idea of kindness, seeing kindness and seeing love in other people and around the world and around me. I think we've seen, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've seen a lot more acts of kindness in this COVID-19 than I ever did before. I've experienced it and I've seen it. I don't know if you would agree with that statement. I think what COVID has done is we are all, it's put us all in the same boat against a common yes. enemy. So we all feel like a tribe, admittedly a stressed tribe, but a yes. tribe nonetheless. But a tribe, yeah. A tribe. And as soon as you start viewing someone else as having a common enemy, you will view them as a friend. You know, it's, yeah. it's the old human psychology. But more than that, we are suddenly there's a pause button. So we're not out constantly to compete, to earn, to impress others. The mirror has fallen on ourselves. And I think that makes us less likely to compete and hence more likely to be kind. So I think kindness is certainly something that I've noticed. Well, Dr. Stroni, thank you so much for chatting to me today. I've, I've truly enjoyed every second of this. I'm thrilled that you put it into a book, Stress Proof, The Scientific Solution to Protect Your Brain and Body and Be More Resilient, which I will highly recommend to anybody to get to, to get through 2021 in a hopefully less stressed fight or flight mode. And, you know, keep going with this incredible work because I think we, we all need it. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review. And you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.